So I want to begin this evening's talk with some words from the Buddha. This is what he says. There is one thing, practitioners, that cultivated and regularly practiced leads to a deep sense of urgency, to the supreme peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of the right vision and knowledge, to happiness here and now, to realizing deliverance by wisdom and the fruition of holiness. It is the mindfulness of the body. Wow, that's a lot of promises for mindfulness of the body, isn't it? The Buddha emphasized this wise attention on the body. The Satipatthana Sutta, one of his, the primary, really for a lot of our instructions, our skillful means for meditation, a lot of those instructions come out of the Satipatthana Sutta. And another one, the Anapana Sutta, that we'll talk about in a couple days. The Satipatthana Sutta, the first section of it begins with mindfulness of breath, just as you have been doing, beginning with this attention on the breath. And the Buddha talks about, know the breath as it is. Know when the breath is short, when it's long. Feel the different characteristics of the breath. And then he goes on to talk about mindfulness of the body in all its different postures, in it, the elemental nature of the body, its impermanence, and gives a lot of guidelines on all these different ways that we might practice in the body. Detailed suggestions. And here is a quote from Ajahn Man, who you can actually go down at some point if you haven't already and go, go, go to the gratitude hut. Go sometime when it's quiet below the gate because you just go down below the gate, those of you who are new, and a little further, the gate below the uh, dining hall, and a little further and there on the right is this lovely little hut you're welcome to go into that ha is a gratitude to all the teachers, many teachers in this lineage. And I believe this is posted in there, but this is what he says. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. I really love this quote. And one of the things that is beautiful to me about it is this thing, when its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. This opening of the citta, the heart-mind, to this body, this willingness to be here with it, to meet it with curiosity and willingness and care. And you can hear in this quote from Ajahn Moon this um, a kind of a almost tenderness about this meeting and connecting with the body. And this awareness that coming to our body, that our bodies are our vehicle to freedom. This is where we're going to find freedom, not by going off somewhere else. When we come into the body, when we attend to the body with care and with the direct sensations of the body, right in that moment, a number of critical things happen. One of the critical things that happens is we are letting go of the past and the future. We, when we feel a sensation in the body, when we contact it directly, 
we have dropped out of the story, out of the ideas about what happened yesterday, last year, or before, and uh, dropped out of our planning, our worrying, our ideas about the future. The body is always in the present moment. It doesn't mean it's not been affected by, of course it has, by events of the past. It doesn't mean it's not leaning into the future, but it's still, the body itself is in the present moment, and when we contact that, when we are with the sensations of the body, we have brought ourselves into the present moment. It's just like that. Boom, we're here. And you've experienced this again and again. You're wandering around mentally, and then you feel your foot on the ground, or you feel the breath. And right there, then you're here when you feel that moment. The other thing that's happening that's very important is that you're also dropping the stories related to the present moment. You know that feeling when you're starting to develop a strong opinion about something, how it should be. Either you should be different, or you know the schedule should be different, or the food should be different. Whatever that is, in the moment when you come into the present, bo- mo- into the present moment body sensations, that evaluating, judging, telling stories about drops away. Another habit that sometimes we have, you might notice this, is this habit of telling, of narrating our experience. Either narrating it to ourselves or narrating it to someone you imagine telling it to in the future. Can you imagine if you actually went home and narrated this whole retreat to somebody in the future? That would be, (coughs) excuse me, that would probably not be so entertaining for them. But we do tend to, like, uh, imagine that we're narrating it. And when we're doing that, we have we're creating some distance from the experience. We, the experience is happening, but we're telling a story about the experience, even when it's happening. So there's this distance. And if we can drop the thought and feel the experience directly, again, back to the intimate experience. Um, James did a wonderful guided meditation this morning, giving you some ways of connecting intimately with the breath. And you could tell when you're really with the breath in this intimate way, you're not telling any stories about it, about the past, the present. You're not comparing how the breath is. It's just right there. And in those moments of your walking meditation, where you're really feeling the foot on the ground, the movement, you're right there. There's no other story going on. We also in this are dropping our sense of identification. The ego identity with me having this experience, that starts to soften as we connect with the sensations of the body. It's not that thoughts are bad. I want to make that really clear. It's not that we're trying to get away from something. It's just they are removed from the present moment. They are taking us away from here. And we tend to live our lives a little ways away from this experience. And our practice is very much about coming into this present moment. And when we do that, we have the potential of seeing what's happening here so much more clearly. This resting in the present moment, this resting in the body, this is our doorway to Dharma. Dharma, another word for it we've talked about, is truth to understanding. And by being with the body in the present, we're opening ourselves to the potential arising of wisdom and understanding that is available to us here. This is a poem from Linda Franz called Dreaming the Real. I'm lying down looking at the color of sky falling through trees, dreaming the real 
tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go, simply exhale, so the day could breathe itself in and open without me standing in the way? How could I forget the grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, all its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it. Feel it love me back under my skin. This coming into the body is a, in many ways a very radical practice because our culture is very committed to this mind-body split and also to the idea that body is inferior to mind. That these two things are split apart and there's a hierarchy. And we often think of the body merely as the the machine, the tool that takes us through our daily lives and lets us do what's important. And we, not only for survival, this is, that we want our body to help us survive, but we also want our body to be comfortable, to uh, keep us safe, to be always in a pleasant state, and we organize to do that. We're not doing that a lot of times out of a real care and compassion for this precious vehicle. We often do it just simply so that it serves us better. And we're trained in this by our culture, this wanting to control our bodies, matching an image, an ideal that we might have of what our body is. Even when we tend to its frailties or its challenges, we're often tending with to them with the idea, if I tend to this and I do it right, it'll go away. I can fix this if I, if I, um, if I'm kind enough and compassionate enough, then it'll get better. There's a way we want to often escape our body, to transcend Sometimes we come to practice with this. It took me a long time to notice in my practice that there was some urge to transcend the experience of my body. That, yeah, it was okay along at first, along the way, but then wouldn't there come a point where I would just, my mind would be big and open and expansive and beyond the body. Check and see if there's some idea that you might have of getting past it. I like the quote from James Joyce in the Dubliners, the rather famous first line. It says, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. I think Mr. Duffy is not necessarily alone in this tendency. There's a way, I liked him, it's like we have a virtual idea of what our bodies are supposed to be like, what they're supposed to do. And it's, it's just this idea. And we're constantly comparing our body to this virtual image as if what's here is somehow not okay and this would be better. You know, if I'm short, I'd rather be tall. If I'm tall, I'd rather be short. If, you know, I sh wish I was stronger, I wish I was not ill in a certain way. In some ways, we kind of want this superhuman, imagined body that comes out of some picture that isn't part of the world in a real way. We don't look at a tree that's got this amazing contorted form that goes in all directions and some branches go this way and that way and criticize the tree and think it should look different or seldom we do. But somehow we think even though we're an, a product of nature 
even though we have the same uh, responsiveness and have been affected by the elements, we often forget to give ourselves this same kind of uh, leeway to be different from other people, to have our own branches growing this way and roots going that way. Part of our experience, or our practice, is to come in, into a state of kindness and respect of our body. In fact, to come to trust it for its wisdom. One of the things that the Buddha did for us, so that we don't have to do it, is he did try the ascetic tradition. He tried the idea that if I that if I starve the body, if I do other ascetic practices, I can transcend it. I can move beyond the body. And I can reach mind states where the body is not not holding me back. And even working with pain in the body such that I can overcome it and be unaffected by it. The Buddha did this to an extreme. He starved himself for years and years. And fortunately, he discovered that this wasn't necessary, that this wasn't useful. And so we instead can follow his path of turning towards the body and accepting that there's an element of mystery to the body, that we will not fully understand it, just as we will not understand the mystery, we, the greater mystery we live in of this universe. Our bodies are part of that and that we won't control them just as we won't control the stars and the plants and the sun and the waters. This body is part of the mystery. And that's one of its beauties. This direct connection right through our very bodies, connected with everything. It's inner, this body is interpenetrated by the whole world, right here. The Buddha, when he realized that the ascetic practices were not getting him where he wanted to go, he left, he decided he should take some nourishment and he accepted porridge and he drank it and nourished his body. I love this story because in that moment, there's an act of care and connection to the body. Uh, oh, we're in this together. This isn't something that I can discard or bypass. And then as James was sharing, that moment of enlightenment, or just before enlightenment, where he reaches down and touches the earth. It, that to me also has this feeling of recognizing his connection with the earth. The earth is his witness and he is the earth, of this earth, this physicality joining together. As we go into the body, as we value its, its aliveness, what it has to tell us, it, as we value the sensitivity of it, instead of trying to uh, flatten it, instead we can get curious. When we do that, we're leaving this Western model of the lesserness of the body or the mind, the body as separate and to be avoided. We're leaving that behind and we're exploring this fundamentally interconnected authority of the body. We can touch this unmitigated 
uncomparable and intimate experience. The body is our most approachable, direct entry into the mystery, connecting with everything. It is nature. This is from Rabindranath Tagore. The the same stream of life that runs through my veins night and day runs through the world and dances in rhythmic measures. It is the same life that shoots in joy through the dust of the earth and numberless blades of grass and breaks into tumultuous waves of leaves and flowers. It is the same life that is rocked in the ocean cradle of birth and of death, in ebb and in flow. I feel my limbs are made glorious by the touch of this world of life, and my pride is from the life throb of ages, dancing in my blood this moment. A little side note that um, really supported me many years ago. I heard a couple of teachers in the Tibetan tradition who had um, come to the West and were teaching. And their observation, they, a couple of different people mentioned that in their observation they would watch Western practitioners advance in their practice to a certain point and then kind of plateau. And they felt that what was causing a kind of ceiling was the disconnect with the body that people really needed to incorporate and connect in order to allow their practice to flourish. And I, I took this to heart, and I spent many years, it was about three years, where I did nothing but body practices, just with my breath and with feeling my body, walking, feeling my body. And this was very transformative for me. And it also allowed me, my practice to change, to come into my daily life, where there was a continuity between retreat practice and my everyday practice, because the the connection with the body was available to me in a very um, continuous way. So I offer that as an extra encouragement. So this body, we relate to it. We have the possibility of practicing something very important with this relationship. Recognizing that our practice is more about relationship to what's happening than what's happening. Does that make sense? In some ways, the object, it doesn't matter if it's rainy outside or sunny outside. In some ways, there may be a preference for your body to be comfortable than to be uncomfortable. But in terms of your practice, what's important is how you're relating to that. Practice is a, this is the brilliance of the Buddha, is he, he recognized that it's a lot easier, even though it's plenty hard, it's a lot easier to tend to the relationship than it is to try to fix the world. Have you noticed that, say, somebody that you care about, somebody that you're a friend with, that it's a lot easier to see if you can shift how you feel about what they're doing or how you're relating to them than it is to change them. And this applies to across the board. And we get to train in this very intimately in our relationship with the body. This is our training ground. How can we be kind and willing and curious in relation to our bodies? And to allow ourselves to keep relaxing into the body, keep coming back to this present moment. And coming into the stillness 
that is the stillness of the body. There's an underlying quiet that as the mind settles down, as we stop bouncing into the past and into the future, we get the opportunity to connect with the smoothness, the stillness, the quiet, the spaciousness that is in this body. And as we do that, we get to see more subtly what else is happening in this background of stillness and quiet. What else is here? The Buddha said the whole of the Dharma is available here in this fathom-long body. So what else is here? We look and we see. When we're working with this relationship, one of the very important points is that we start to have the idea that what arises is workable. That we don't have to disconnect from our experience. And particularly if we've had difficult body experiences, if we have trauma in our body, we may have very skillfully learned to disconnect from the body. It might have been a very, very skillful strategy for, um, for our well-being. And so part of meditation is to allow ourselves to reconnect gently, gently coming back and finding this relationship with the body. One of the, our tendencies in our lives, there's a sort of visual image I like. It's like we have a bandwidth and we're very comfortable in the bandwidth. And this might, this might be in terms of what we do physically, the conditions we like around us, the people we like, the opinions and views, all sorts of things. If it's in this bandwidth, that's, that's help. That's okay with us. And then something goes outside of the bandwidth. It pops up. It's like it's even better than we expected or maybe it's more challenging than our bandwidth allows. And our instinct is to squash it back in. Oh, this is uncomfortable. How do I make it more comfortable? Or, whoa, this is like a little too much happiness, a little too much delight. Maybe I need to think about something or worry about how this is going to go away. So we have this bandwidth. When it goes out, we tend to push it back. So what our practice is, is instead to practice expanding the bandwidth. When something goes out of the bandwidth to go, wow, this is challenging, this is different. I don't usually have feelings of sadness or I don't usually have feelings of anger. Oh, I don't usually eat this food. I don't have this physical experience. And when that happens to go, huh, can I be with this? Can I expand my bandwidth to allow myself to include this? Perhaps you're used to looking at what's challenging and difficult in your body and some pleasant sensation arises. Do you notice that you move away from that and instead go back to what's difficult? Can you expand your experience and just be with what's perhaps a pleasant and easeful experience. And our practice is to keep expanding this bandwidth. Each time something goes outside of it, we expand, we expand. To be free, to be free is to have unlimited bandwidth. That everything is workable. One of the wonderful training grounds for this is working with the body. I did see when James asked last night how many people are having aches and pains and difficulties in the body. There might have been a couple of you that didn't raise your hand, but I didn't see those people. It was the vast majority. Of course, you're, sitting, you're doing something very different than you've been doing. Of course, the body's going to be uncomfortable. 
And it may, as the time goes on, become more adapted to it. And it may stay with various difficulties. This is a poem from Susie Loeffler, I Will Have to Return. Oh, how I wish to flee this moment with its barbs and thorns, bare skin scratched and stinging. I carefully pull branches aside, try to slip between the inevitable. Then I notice the bright red berries. There's sweetness, a gentle kiss on raw wounds. Oh, how I wish to hold this moment forever, to stay right here in the middle of the raspberry patch with the barbs and thorns and the sweet, sweet gifts. It doesn't end up all looking one way. In the midst of the challenge, we find the gifts. They do arise. One of the useful things to recognize with discomfort in the body is that our first instinct, the instinct that something is painful or unpleasant, we tend at that point to develop aversion and to move away from it or try to fix it or change it in some way. And when we develop this sensitivity to the body, part of what we do is get curious about it. I'll say more about, it's not like we have to go be curious and get into every single pain that arises. But it can be useful when you have that moment of like, ah, I don't like this, to instead see if you can feel it directly. What is the, the experience you're having? Notice if it's an aching, a throbbing, a sensitivity of some kind. Is it hot? Is it cold? What's happening? Can you notice if it's just very isolated to one spot? Can you notice if it's large, expanding? As you touch into it more intimately, you may discover that this overall, this is painful, this contraction has a little more opening and you might notice as you start touching into it that it changes, that it doesn't necessarily, it's not as continuous and solid as you might think. So you can touch in to what it feels initially difficult. Now I also want to say though something, um, oh, one more thing on the positive side, there isn't, being with the body where it's got some intensity to it, I'll use that word intensity instead of pain, where it's got some intensity to it can be very um, concentrating. It can really hold your attention and the mind will get, will get very drawn in and if you pay attention to the intricacies of the sensation, you're likely to stay right there. So that sometimes can be useful if it's not too intense. On the other hand, you can overdo that. I will tell you so that you don't repeat. Um, my first month-long retreat a long time ago, I misunderstood the instructions on being with the body. And my body was one that was very uncomfortable when I was sitting. And so I proceeded to come in and sit after sit, put all my attention on whatever in my body was the most painful. And I think I ended most sits by the end I was crying. This is not useful. Do not do this. It's one thing to play around with this, but the other thing then is to have skillful means and move your attention to where there is pleasant sensation in the body, or at least neutral sensation. To allow, perhaps you go to what's uncomfortable in the body for a little bit of 
that's what's rising. And then come back to your breath and see if you can find the ease. Being in the breath is also, the breath is the in the body. So feeling perhaps a pleasant sense of flow or a place where there's some ease in the body. And you can acknowledge that there's a place where there's difficulty, where it's unpleasant, and you're not trying to you're not trying to push it away or pretend it's not there. But if you don't feed it, if you don't grab a hold of it, and just sort of notice and say, yes, I see you, but I'm not going to get overly involved and come back and instead let your attention move towards what brings ease and calm to your experience. And then if the pain, if something gets too unpleasant, then you might go back to it for a moment and then come back. And then at the point where if you get into a pain, a relationship with your body where it's very uncomfortable, where it's like you're just having a aversion, martyr, sit, then it's time to do something different. So that means stand up. Uh, go ahead and, you know, shift your posture very quietly is fine. Because at the point where you've gone into full aversion with it, now you're just cultivating aversion instead of a wholesome state. So at that point, it's useful to cultivate kindness and go, okay, how do, what do I do to take care of this? Another uh, well, this is from the Tibetan tradition, but I've again found it to be useful, is that their understanding is that when we attend to the body, when we uh, spend time with the flow of energy in the body, what we're doing is freeing up this energy. We're loosening it. And you'll experience this if you haven't already. When we attend to the body, what often happens is the old stories come up of the, what our body has stored. It, the body has all this information in it. And as we attend to the body, it starts to be released. There might be an old story that you've been holding a contraction in some part of your body. And as you notice this place of contraction, and you just go, huh, that's really contracted. And you just sort of attend to it gently without any idea that it needs to be fixed. But just noticing it with that kind of intimacy that James was pointing to this morning. And you just attend to it. You might notice some understanding coming to you that might feel connected to that, but it might be the direct relationship to that part in your body may or may not be apparent to you. But this is sort of, as the frozenness in our body starts to be freed up, so does what it's carrying. And this is not uncommon to have things come up and be seen. This is from Pesta Gertler, The Healing Time. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. As our sensitivity to the body deepens and it gets freed up and our sensitivity to the subtleness of what's happening here, we move beyond not only the personal experience, our history, what's happening here in this moment, but we have the opportunity to start to recognize the deeper truths of the Dharma. We start to recognize the impermanence the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, and the not-self quality. When we recognize, for instance, that this body is made of the elements, when we feel this 
solidity here and we connect with it. And we feel, wow, there is earth here. I am of this earth. I'm earth walking on earth. Or when you understand that as you drink the water from the wells here, you've been here long enough, you're made of, by now already, the well water of this land is flowing through your veins. The rain that came down, that percolated into the water, drawn back up, and now is traveling through you. And as we feel these greater uh, subtleties of the impermanence flowing through us, the impersonal nature of the body can become more apparent to us. So I want to offer a few more skillful means to help this connection with the body as you're practicing, this arriving more fully in this place. So the first thing is dropping the idea of what the body should be. Dropping it again and again. It'll come up and then just notice, oh, no, this is the way it is. It's like this. Oh, can I meet this moment? And then sensing what's here directly, not your story about it. Being willing to be with the slight the what's challenging, the unpleasantness. And then directing your attention beyond the idea of the what's difficult or what you want to change. Instead, starting to feel the qualities of the body directly. Its density, the weight, pressure, heat, cold, vibration, fluidity, the movement of energy the sense of the skin, the feeling deep inside of blood and movement. Sensing what you can feel, what can you know, and noticing what's pleasant and unpleasant and where it's neutral. There's an unlimited world in here. I think it was Trungpa, Trungpa that said, um, if, you don't, if you can't meditate, then travel. He was pointing to that the meditation is the greater adventure. And the body is an adventurous place to go. And as you do this, one of the things that helps is cultivating some of the factors of concentration. So when we feel something in the body, when we sense something, we make this initial contact with it. This contact, when we first touch into uh, a sensation, this is called vitaka. It's the first entry into concentration to make contact with what's happening. And then there's a second quality of concentration, vichara, to rub up against, to sustain the attention. I'm going to do a little experiment here. I'm going to ring the bell. And when I do, I want to invite you to feel in your body what happens? So yes, it's coming. You can hear it. But then notice the response and stay with the experience of the sound all the way through. And as it fades, notice the next thing that is clear to you. And for this, choose something else in your body. Perhaps it's just the next breath. And as you contact that 
See if you can kind of rub up against it. Know it a little more. This intimacy with your experience. This quality of contacting and then staying. Maybe it's just a couple more seconds, three or four seconds, with whatever the experience is. The noting that James brought in, mentioned this morning, is one of the ways to remind ourselves to not skip too quickly from one moment of experience to the next. To allow ourselves to really contact the experience. This is part of the reason we often suggest slowing down, to give yourself time to contact the moment fully. What's here? As we do this, as we connect and contact with our experience, we also start to cultivate other qualities of concentration which arise in the body. Other qualities of concentration that arise are piti, which is rapture or joy, and sukha. I like the word sukha. It's, it's the opposite of dukkha. That's a good thing about it. And it sounds a little like sugar which is the way sukha is, happiness, contentment. And these are experiences of the body. They take place in this body. This is what the Buddha talks about, about the, these arising of, uh, of piti and sukha. One steeps, drenches, fills, and suffuses their body with the rapture and happiness. So that's the piti and sukha. Fills and suffuses their body with the rapture and happiness, born of seclusion, so that there is no part of their entire body that is not suffused with this rapture and happiness. Just as a skilled bath attendant or their apprentice might strew bathing powder in a copper basin, sprinkle it again and again with water, and knead it together so that the mass of bathing soap would be pervaded, suffused, and saturated with moisture inside and out, yet would not ooze moisture. So the practitioner steeps, drenches, fills, and suffuses their body with the rapture and happiness born of seclusion so that there is no part of their entire body that is not suffused with this rapture and happiness. This quality of piti, of rapture and joy in the body, this sometimes we experience, uh, there was a question this morning, this uprightness that might come to the body, a kind of ease and calm that might rise in the body. Perhaps a settledness or contentment that might come with this quality of sukha. These experiences are felt in the body so that when we initially, when we're making this contact and rubbing up against, we're cultivating the qualities that allow this settledness that allows these qualities, these other qualities of concentration to arise in the body. There might be other way, there might be times when we can see how clearly we're separating from the body. And so, for instance, we find we're lost in our thoughts seeing if we can return to the body, dropping back in. What would I be feeling 
in my body if I wasn't thinking this thought? If I dropped out of my mind into the body, what would this feel like? Perhaps it, there's a story going on, a planning, something happening. But what else is here? Oh, there's a little agitation. Oh, there's a little restlessness. Oh. I know for myself, I could not escape my planning mind for years. That was what my mind seemed to prefer to do. Until I felt the energy in the body behind the planning. Then the planning would happen, but then I'd feel that energy happening. Ah, now I'm here in the present moment. Even though the planning thoughts might be still going on, I I had arrived. What's below the thoughts? What can you feel right here? I have this image for myself. It's a sort of funny one of a toothpaste tube. And that I'm sitting here, I'm the toothpaste tube, and my body contracts, and the toothpaste comes up the top, and I'm all in my head. And then it's like when you squeeze too much toothpaste out of the tooth, and you sort of like go, oops, and you kind of open it back up a little, and the toothpaste goes back down. I can't be the only one that's ever done this. (laughs) Well, that's what sometimes it feels like. I get all squeezed up into my head, and then I have to like go, oh yeah, drop back down and drop down back into the body. Oh, right, I'm here. Suffuse the body with your attention. If you find yourself lost in your thoughts, you might try this little phrase that I like. Drop it mid-sentence. You don't need to finish the thought. Just because you started it doesn't mean you need to finish it. It can be work left undone. And do something easier. Just rest back. Sit here. Here I have a little cartoon from Calvin. Those of you, the way thoughts can get us in trouble. This is what he says. First thing he says, here I am, happy and content. Next block, but not euphoric. So now I'm no longer content. I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. Often we need to stop thinking while we're ahead. Just what's here? What's here already? Emotions are another very natural arising in our experience. And again, emotions will have a thinking component and a physical component. So if we can drop in and feel the physical component, perhaps sadness or anger or grief or loneliness arises, perhaps delight or care or love arises, feeling these in the body, be willing to let ourselves set aside the thoughts and feel the experience of that, being very intimate with it. This is from uh, uh, Jan Frazier, When Fear Falls Away, in the book she says, And she's talking about when something difficult arises. She says, how suffering becomes a door to peace. How pain is a trap door that if stood fully upon opens under the terrible weight of full acceptance. How the trap door is the roof above a pool of aching tenderness. How the very things we think are obstacles to peace are windows. And on the other side of the windows are our peaceful selves. How, if we do not get this, the obstacles will keep coming and keep coming. How we pull them to us like iron filings to the magnet, to a magnet. How powerful is a human being? How little we know this. How the not knowing is the greatest obstacle of all. Acknowledge the fact of a thing and you will find peace in that plain act. And the fact of a thing includes your response to it. 
Surrender to the fact of being afraid. Surrender to whatever is in the moment. Stand in the full reality of being angry or lonely. Do not resist it. Stand with both feet on the fact of what is bringing you pain, frustration, weariness, fear, anger, jealousy, confusion, stress. Accept it. All your weight fully gathered in recognition of it. And the trap door swings because of your willingness to be fully present in the face of this moment, inner and outer, whatever it holds. This standing on the trap door takes place in our body, not in our minds. This is this moment of seeing everything as an opportunity, that we can be in relation to our experience, that we can contact it right here. This is this very profound intimacy. Dogen, a uh, uh, Zen patriarch, says, awakening is to be intimate with all things. Awakening is to be intimate with all things. And that is right here. And we've been talking about this. How do we cultivate intimacy? That's the same answer to how do we cultivate our meditation practice. Through relaxation, cultivating safety, acceptance, allowing, slowing down, paying careful attention having reverence for and care, tenderness, all the things we associate with cultivating the quality of intimacy. What allows you to be intimate with your experience, to be intimate with this body and all it is making available to you to connect to this deep knowing This is from Joanna Macy. She says, the Dharma path strikes me as profoundly erotic. Buddhism teaches us to pay attention. And if you mindfully put your attention on anything, you find love arising for whatever it is. Anything you put your attention on it and it reveals itself to you. This is our practice to put our attention to rest it with care and kindness and willingness again and again, to listen deeply, to touch. I'll end by reading you a poem from Mark Napo called On the Ridge. We can grow by simply listening the way the tree on that ridge listens its branches to the sky, the way blood listens its flow to the sight of a wound, the way you listen like a basin when my head so full of grief can't look you in the eye. We can listen our way out of anger if we let the heart soften the wolf we keep inside. We can last by listening deeply, the way roots reach for the next inch of earth, the way an old turtle listens all he hears into the pattern of his shell. So let's let the words settle for a moment together.
Thank you for your kind attention and hearing the Dharma. Enjoy your walking and we'll come back for the last sit and chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.